0: Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to chat with you here on the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show every week. And as you can probably tell, I greatly enjoy doing that. and and part of it is because I enjoy communicating. And this is, is, is fundamental. I mean, what makes us human beings and what distinguishes us from cats and cows and camels and kangaroos, is precisely that we possess language. And it's something built into us. God created us in order to be able to connect, and communicate, and collaborate, and cooperate, and ultimately to create, and language is at the heart of this. This is why one of the most amazing things of having a baby is watching it develop language during the first year or two of its life, and astonishingly, with all the complex rules of syntax, and grammar, and vocabulary, somehow or another, children intuitively just link to language, intuitively being able to recognize the structure of the language and to begin to talk it. It's quite extraordinary. This is part of the wonder of language, and although I am not thinking of moving anywhere at all, and when I last checked with Mrs. Lappin, neither is she, but I've sometimes joked about uh, wanting to move to uh, China. Now, uh, you know, I I think that in China uh, we'd probably enjoy even fewer freedoms than we enjoy in the United States, where freedoms are being eroded on a daily basis, as I record these words in the middle of October 2021. But, um, you know, I, I sort of joke about moving to China just because there's something appealing about living in a country that's on the ascendancy, a country that's on the march, a country that's really going places. And uh, <laughs> yes, uh, one of the main reasons, I mean, other than the, the absence of freedom, uh, that I would not move is because I would be incredibly handicapped. To me, to be able to communicate in language, and particularly the English language, is, is really important because I know the English language well. Uh, I finally understand the basic structure of a fundamental English sentence. I enjoy the vocabulary and the range of the English language, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably comfortable in the language. To have to now start again with a new language would be incredibly difficult, and, and this goes for, for any language. Uh, it would be hard, so uh, I am very much confined To any environment where English is the main language of communication. Now I must admit in the United States of America every time I I dial a number and I try and call a company and on comes a Spanish voice saying something in Spanish indicating that if I want to continue the conversation in Spanish I should press number two or number nine or whatever it is. uh, I got to tell you I begin to wonder for how long my skills with the English language such as they may be uh, are going to continue to be very useful but for the moment they are and uh, and so um, it's it's a language that goes back a long way now it's true that if you go back to the English of William Shakespeare 400 years ago uh, it's a little harder to read than it is to read a transcript of this podcast but uh, it still is the same language and it was uh, about 210, 215, yeah, 214 years ago, actually, that uh, one of the uh, prophets of the English language, one of the saints of the English language, he wasn't a saint otherwise, but he was, you know, somebody who, who really wrote beautifully in English, was a poet called William Wordsworth, and in 1807, he wrote a poem that uh, is very much at the heart of who I am and who I encourage you to be, and who, uh, who wrote the poem that provided the phrase for what I think of as our little community. Uh, you know the this 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 merry band of people who are unified through the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show on this podcast, or uh, those of us who are are unified by our study of scrolling through Scripture, and in fact we even made a website called wehappywarriors.com, dot com. In which we make it possible for everybody to become actively involved with us and with one another. In other words, the ability to connect with all other happy warriors. After all, that's one of the main advantages of being part of a community. And so that's what we do at WeHappyWarriors.com. And uh, William Wordsworth, in 1807, wrote a poem about the happy warrior. And I'll just read you a couple of lines of it. Who is the happy warrior, who is he That every man in arms should wish to be? It is the generous spirit, Who, when brought, finds comfort in himself and in his cause, And while the mortal mist is gathering, draws his breath in confidence of heaven's applause this is the happy warrior. This is he that every man in arms should wish to be. And uh, that speaks to me, and I, I hope it does to you. Um, William Ernest Henley wrote another uh, great poem that I often quote, um, and uh, it's it's called Invictus. And it's, it's not a popular poem, I think largely because the name Invictus really... Uh, isn't clear in terms of what it means so many people ignore the poem but it's a wonderful poem and the the final closing stanza of the poem reads I am the master of my fate I am the captain of my soul and you've often heard me say that you are not tennis balls floating down the gutter of life That's not William Ernest Henley's poem, that's Rabbi Daniel Lappin's slogan. We are not tennis balls floating down the gutter of life. One day I might even tell you the origin of that phrase, how it came to be the uh, paramount phrase of the Lappin household. But uh, for now, enough to say that uh, it is my honor to serve you all, you happy warriors, Uh, because that's what we all are. We're happy warriors, men and women, because to live productively and successfully, you have to fight every day. You've got to fight against the forces of entropy, if nothing else. You fight to maintain your body. You fight to maintain your possessions. You fight to build and maintain your family and your finances and your business, or your profession, or your career, or whatever it is you do for other human beings? Look, God created a world in which chaos and disorder rules. My beautiful garden would turn into a jungle if I stopped pulling out weeds and I stopped watering the flowers. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, that's the very second verse of the Bible. The phrase tohu bohu That's a Hebrew word, but it's been adopted into English, and it's actually found in the English dictionary, tohu bohu. That means chaos and disorder. God created a world where the natural default is chaos and disorder. That's right. Gardens will quickly turn into jungles. They will. Forests would overrun everything. Swamps would be the order of the day. But it's human beings who turn swamps into farmland and who build factories and buildings and homes and museums and power stations. Life is a fight, and that's a good thing. To stop fighting and to stop seeking and to stop striving, well, that's just another word for death. And I call you not just warriors, but I always think of you as happy warriors. Because to throw yourself into the fight for eight or ten hours a day, six days a week, well, that's one thing. But to throw yourself into the fight for eight or ten hours a day, six days a week, and to do all that with a debonair smile on your face and a jaunty pace to your stride, To do all that while generating an irrepressible surge of happiness welling up in your soul, well, that means that you are spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming, devoted to your faith, to your families, to your finances, to your fitness and your friendships, knowing that you can triumph over all those are both intentionally and unknowingly promoting a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism along with all the many destructive and evil social pathologies that that worldview generates and that is not you and that is not me and uh, we are willing to fight. We are willing to step out onto the tightrope over the chasm. We are. But how far along that tightrope should we walk? And that brings us to the valuable teaching from ancient Jewish wisdom that I want to impart to you today. And I want you to let me know whether this does something for you. I want to hear from you and I want you to tell me if I am imparting something to you that is useful to you in your life. And uh, and you can do that by the way at the Happy Warriors uh, website. That is where you can try out freely to become a happy warrior, a basic member and uh, you're able to communicate And let me know exactly what you think. Uh, It's also, by the way, at our main website at rabbidaniellappen.com, You're also able to acquire the um, brand-newly-back-in-stock Rabbi Daniel Lappin Recommended Bible. Uh, And I mention this just because they're flying out a little more quickly than I'd anticipated and i thought the stock we'd had is going to last for a long time we went out of stock last time it took us nearly six months to get them back and that's because we have them specially printed it, it it's not something we can just walk into a warehouse and get but uh, we have we have some of them we have a good supply right now at the present moment it's you'll find it at the store at rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com and uh It's not only our recommended Bible, it carries a message from Susan and from me, but much more importantly, um, it has maps in the back. uh, It has um, anthologies of the correct names. The way names are spelled in the Bible, in this particular Bible, are exactly the way they are pronounced in the Lord's language. And so uh, Moses is really Moshe, and Jonah is really Yonah and Noah is really Noah. That's right. You do need to work on that sound. There is the, the great composer Johann Sebastian Bach, right? And the Brandenburg Concerto, one of the greatest pieces of music written. Well, the Brandenburg Concerto was written by Johann Sebastian Bach. And so when you master the Bach you're able to say Hanukkah, not Hanukkah, and you're able to say Noach instead of a far more mundane and watery Noah. No, not Noah, Noach, the man who spent more than a 100 years building an ark and changed the course of human history, and the man whose uh, model was really plan B But still not the final one. It was 10 more generations till we came to Abraham. Did I say Abraham? No. In my recommended Bible, you'll find him to be Avraham. And that'll make a whole lot more sense because Av means a father. And uh, we get a bit more of an insight into what his name means because all the names actually have real meanings. We don't have names in the Bible that are just names. So uh, take a look with you at the recommended Bible. It's the Bible I also use when I teach. So for instance, if, uh, if you go ahead and listen, watch the free first lesson of scrolling through scripture, uh, you'll see that you are able to refer to the Bible and see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, You'll also be able to see that the real divisions in Scripture are not the way they were put in by the chapter breaks of Archbishop Stephen Langton in the 13th century. No, they are the ones given by God considerably earlier, and these are graphically laid out by two different types of paragraph breaks within the text— And again, this is reproduced in the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Recommended Bible in exactly the way it's actually handwritten in a Torah scroll itself. But still, enough of that and back to how it is that we confront something very interesting, which is that uh, there is a tension in our lives, in every aspect of our lives, having to do with finance, having to do with friendship, having to do with family, having to do with, uh, even with faith, and uh, and certainly having to do with fitness as well. What is 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 this uh, area that has something to do with every one of the five Fs? And that is that there is a spectrum line. Now, very often, people think of a characteristic, and they don't realize that it is best understood by seeing it as anchoring one end of a spectrum line. So, for instance, you might hear somebody say, uh, oh, uh, he's a very fun-loving guy. He's always up for a joke. And you say to yourself, okay, that's not a standalone statement. I have to understand that in the context of a spectrum line. And one end of the spectrum line is somebody who's always up for a joke and a good time. And the other end of the same spectrum line is anchored by somebody who is the very opposite of that. You know, maybe a bit surly, maybe a little bit introverted, uh, maybe uh, a person who's a sort of puts out a depressed kind of aura, a black cloud exudes from him, uh, And now you say to yourself, well, where do I belong on the spectrum? I certainly don't want to be like that guy who's always miserable but do I really want to be nothing but the life and soul of the party? Do I always want to have a joke? How about the times when I do need to be um, a little bit quieter, a little bit more reflective, a little bit more thoughtful about something where it's just not appropriate to be a boisterous and rowdy, you know, life and soul of the party sort of guy? Um, There are times where uh, a person um says you know i can i can be frugal i can be very very careful with money but there are also times where a person can overdo that and and become uh, almost miserly with money but then on the other hand at the other extreme you've got somebody who's who's just such a spencer if he never has more than two cents on him because he's always spending it and so once again, spectrum line anchored at one end by somebody who is a skinflint and that never never spends on anybody or himself. And then at the other end is, uh, is the person who just can never keep a penny in his pocket. He's always spending it. Where do I belong? I start off somewhere in between. I keep my eye on both those extremes. And then I ask myself, you know, am I going too close to the skinflint end? Am I going too close to the the other end of, uh, of letting money just drip through my fingers? Um, so it is that uh, you sometimes hear somebody say, oh, that's such a risky thing. And the person might respond and say, well, you know, he's a real risk taker. Uh, and then on the other end of that spectrum line, you've got people who say, Um, you know, I I just, I like playing it safe. You know, I'm going to err on the side of safety. And those are the two extremes of this particular human characteristic. On the one hand, you know, um, I can't wait to go bungee dump, jumping and the only reason I'm not going bungee jumping with you on Sunday is that I'm I'm jumping out of a perfectly serviceable aircraft with a parachute strapped to my back because I want the thrill of free falling till the last minute before I yank the ripcord and float gently down to earth what a uh, 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 an adrenaline hit that is my goodness what an exciting ride that is uh I, I can't you know i can't wait to do it in the next week anyway you get the idea uh there are people who just thrive on risky behavior all the time uh whether that means even ingesting substances that yes i understand they do things to you but it comes at high risk obviously uh there are uh, there are business ventures Every time somebody leaves a job, a secure job, in order to start their own enterprise, that's high risk, very high risk. I'll tell you something else that's high risk. Getting married, that's risk. And there are people who just thrive on jumping off the diving board into the unknown. There are people who've never heard the phrase, look before you leap because they respond whenever you say to them hey look before you leap they say well all you're doing is perpetually condemning yourself to never be able to jump further than you can see you know so you are really limiting yourself and restricting your potential well at the other end of the spectrum is the person who indeed never does jump until he can see the next stepping stone clearly in sight and within reach. And that is the person who always chooses the safer course of action. Sometimes, you know, reaching out a hand and shaking the hand of somebody you've never, never met before and introducing yourself, for many people, a risky undertaking. Because the fear is of ridicule or the fear of rejection and so many people err on the side of safety and so what we sometimes ask ourselves is so you know what what am i supposed to do am i am i sort of playing too safe am i am i just sort of never getting anywhere because i'm always trying very hard to just you know stay in safety and, and be careful and never never go beyond the bounds of what i can clearly understand and, and 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 see in front of me do i or maybe i sometimes say to myself gosh am i overdoing it on the risk you know am am i you know what's am i doing something that, that i could regret i mean this could go very bad the wrong way and uh and so what i'm encouraging you to do is to see these two tendencies these human characteristics playing it safe and being risky not as two completely different things that have nothing to do with one another you know one person's risky one person plays it safe no these two characteristics are linked by a spectrum line and In each and every decision that you and I make, every day almost, we have the option of sliding ourselves to left or right along that spectrum line. We can move towards the safer end. Sometimes we can move towards the risky end, and with a nervous smile on our face, we can leap out into space. But how do you know? And what is the right thing to do? Well, that is what I want to try and help structure for all of us in our conversation here today. And be sure to let me know if this works for you. How do you let me know? Well, you you write to me. You know, you go to our website, and at RabbiDanielLappin.com, uh, you say where it says contact us. You just go ahead and you do exactly that. And that's exactly, by the way, what Brian did. And this wasn't in the context of of any specific show, but Brian wrote, Greetings, Rabbi. I enjoy your podcasts immensely. Some I've had to download because there's always something one can miss from listening to your messages only once. If I had to choose a mentor... I'd choose you only because you do not sell cupcakes and rainbows you're frank and i know that and i love that i'm sorry um, tell you what i knew there was a bit of south african in you don't know if it's the accent or your gift for telling interesting stories god bless you for all that you do for us through him capital h and it's from brian and um thank you Brian I I haven't yet responded to your email, but I plan to do that and uh, yes I, I was born in South Africa um, there was I've, I've been away several decades. I've been back to Africa but I've not yet been back to South Africa and I'll tell you something that there must be something in all our souls that link us to our places of birth. I don't know if any of you have had this experience at all but uh, I uh, I had such a profound emotional response tears in the eyes lump in the throat when my airplane landed in Ghana when I visited there a couple of years ago and I'll tell you the truth I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, travel restrictions easing up so that I can indeed revisit Africa and maybe even uh, the southern end of the African continent um because I've since then spoken to many many people and I've said have you ever had this experience of returning to your place of birth after a period of time and actually feeling something and uh, a lot of people responded very positively you know saying yes that, that that's something they have felt something they they do know something about so I'm I I don't know much about that at the moment but I'm going to look into it Uh, But I'm very open to the idea that somehow or another, uh, we are spiritually linked to the place we entered this world from our mothers in the first place. Um, Here's a message from Duncan, and uh, Duncan writes, Dear Rabbi Lappin, you've mentioned several times now in recent podcasts that the object of the military is to destroy its enemy but it took hearing it again from you on episode 126 to recall an old memory that supports your view on this in an interesting way. About 20 years ago, I graduated technical school in the United States Air Force. All 700 or so of us were sitting in bleachers in Biloxi, Mississippi, and a general came to talk to us. He paced backwards and forwards down below with a microphone in his hand for a minute or two, and then slowly he boomed out. Our job is to break things and kill people. I don't recall his whole speech to us, but I do remember that line exactly because I was surprised by it, as were the others all around me. This was about two months after September the 11th, 2001 and we were all about to head out to our first duty stations, not at all sure what would happen next. I suppose there's an abstraction when it comes to the military, and it takes someone to cut through it and remind everyone else what the goal really is. Looking back, I find it sad that we were surprised by his words. Already back then, We must have been so used to hearing euphemisms and BS that we were struck by a plainly stated punch of reality. Thank you very much, Duncan. Uh, Duncan, thanks for that recollection from uh, the first few months after the terrorist attacks of September the 11th, 2001. Appreciate hearing from you very much indeed so uh, almost every time that we have a, a decision to make just think of yourself as being on the spectrum line this like railway line between the two stations at the end of the each, at each end of the line one station total safety total security and always making the decision that has least risk. And then the station at the other end of the line, whoa, wild, uh, high-flying risk at all times. And you then decide where you're going to move your carriage along that railway line. You're going to uh, drive it towards the, the the left safer end. You're going to drive it a bit more to the risky end. And how how do you go about doing all that? Well, i think a a good place to start is to agree that the extreme risky end the station at the end of the line that says try anything right what do you got to lose other than your life your dignity your finer every "Eh, give it a shot go on you only live once that end is like really dumb that is the end occupied primarily by high testosterone young males unattached young males that's that's nearly the only people Uh, these are the people who go in for extreme sports Um, these are the people who uh, who generally go for high risk endeavors and uh, and and Actually, it's the the people who most engage in high-risk crime, right? Most violent crime, which is the kind that you would think almost any society that has a future is willing to defend itself against. And so, if if there's any crime that you should really consider to be a reckless activity, it's violent crime, because you can yourself easily lose your life in violent crime. Well, you won't be shocked to hear that uh, young, single, unattached males do the overwhelming majority of violent crime. That's what they do. And so it's easy to see, is it not, that that extreme is not a good place to be. And so that tells you right away that you've got to be somewhere over towards the other side. You've got to be somewhere away from that, right? But how far? All the way to the other end? No, because in exactly the same way that we can all see that the high risk end is no good. I mean, to go all the way to that extreme, come on, that's, that's not a way to build a life. Well, guess what? In these kinds of ancient Jewish wisdom analyses, where characteristics are placed on a spectrum line, um, you know, you are uh, uh, always happy and boisterous and and fun and laughing and joking, or on the other hand, you know, sad, miserable, exuding a cloud of of black angst. Uh, In all of these cases, both extremes have to be rejected that neither extreme is a place to be. And ideally, where are we? Well, somewhere in between, sometimes moving a little closer to one extreme, sometimes a little closer to the other. But neither extreme is ever a place for us to be. And so in the same way that we can see that being over at the high risk end, right to the end, to the limit, that's just dumb. In the same way, we should be able to see that being over at the high security end, no risk, zero risk, always 100 degrees, 100% the safe route, we've got to see that that is in every way just as bad as the first extreme. Neither extreme works. Now, the reason this is worth noting is because in the United States of America, in Canada, In Australia, of all places, the government has chosen to go all the way to the extreme of safety. And um, this is a mistake. There's no question about it. Uh, Just today I was told that uh, suicide figures in some of the countries in which extreme ultimate safety was the guideline for all public policy... Uh, well, those suicide rates have gone up. I understand that, because one of the things you're doing is limiting, restricting, and sometimes eliminating connection between human beings. We were created to connect. We do not do well in isolation. And so, uh, it's, um, it's it's just really important to note that the fundamental error made by the governments of many countries around the world, and by the health authorities in many countries around the world, is that decisions should never be made at either end of the spectrum you're examining. First of all, place the characteristic that interests you on a piece of paper. Draw a horizontal line, and at the other end of the line, you've got to figure out the name of the characteristic, that's the opposite of the one you're examining. And now you have the spectrum line, and now you have the ability to start asking yourself, how do I position myself more or less on the center of the line? And then adjust slightly to one side or the other as circumstances dictate. But what we have discovered during the last um, year and a half of covid is that authorities have pushed all the way to the end. Let me tell you as a general rule that you can rely on, and that is any time any decision is made right at the end of the spectrum line where you're in one station at the end of the railway line or the other, you're making a mistake. That's not how the world really works. The way the world really works is somewhere in between. Never, never on the end li- end of the line, never at the end of the spectrum, never in the railway station that anchors either end of this railway line of life. And so we've got to be able to get used to this idea and to evaluate what's been going on. You know, why is it such a mistake? Because either extreme is always a mistake and in the case of covid um, it's you know it's pretty obvious there are all kinds of other considerations if you look at your 5f's and i hope you have a copy of the holistic you it's a little book you can get for free on my website rabbidaniellappen.com it's a download and there you will see that we place your five F's, family, faith, physical fitness, friendship, and finances, equidistant on the circumference of a circle. Neither is more important than any other. They're all equally important. And yet, when you push to the end and you decide that public policy dictated by the requirements of public health is going to be at the way end well i understand why doctors would say that that's their job but you as the ceo of your life you need to need to take all the five f's into account you would say to your doctor uh, okay i understand that for my physical fitness, I need to be totally isolated from everyone else. Now I'd like to speak to my financial advisor. What would that do for my finances? He said, that would be a terrible idea. I agree that you should be somewhat more careful than normal. There is a, a sickness going around. and uh, But not, if you isolate yourself completely, you'll shatter your finances. And then I'm going to speak to the advisor in charge of my friendships. And he's going to say, Listen, you can't, you can't wipe out a lifetime of friendships by ignoring and being out of contact. You can't retain friendships just with uh, phone calls and with emails. And little by little, you, you find yourself in the middle of many different spectrum lines. And they all converge at the center point of the circle, the point of totality and completion. And so, this is really important to, uh, to understand. How do you decide where about you go on the spectrum line? That's what I want to try and explain now. I want to explain that these two ends of the spectrum lines can best be seen in terms of masculinity and femininity. Now, I'm not talking about any particular man or any particular woman. I'm talking about the abstract characteristics of masculinity and femininity. And I think that when you explore the topic that way, you too will see that the end of the risk spectrum line that speaks all the time of uh, high risk and limitless uh, um, tension and and excitement Um, you will recognize that to be a manifestation of masculinity. Um, It is guys in general who lean that way, right? Most violent crime, young males. Most extreme adventure sports, young males, right? Because it is something that appeals to masculinity as an abstract concept. Safety, security, um, being low risk, being aware of the downside of things, that is a characteristic that is found within the abstract of femininity. And so, for instance, in couples that coach with me, it's been such a frequent thing where uh, the man is all bent on t- jumping his job in which he's been miserable for years and he's got this idea of a business he wants to start and it's usually his wife who says but there's a risk there it's a high risk uh, you know we could lose our house we're we're gonna have to leave our house and move to an apartment what's gonna happen and this is a theme that one sees again and again and again and um, what do we do well this is one of the fantastic examples of the value and benefit of marriage one of the reasons that uh, marriage works particularly where it's not a man woman married to a man woman but a man married to a woman now i need to just take a moment to explain what i meant by the not well a man-woman married to a man-woman is a, a modern marriage. It's not a traditional marriage. Um, it's a marriage that has been brought about by the circumstances of today, sometimes by financial realities, sometimes by cultural realities. But what I mean by a man-woman married to a man-woman is, I'm talking, why biologically it may well be, Uh, a person with male appendages and uh, married to a person with female bodily parts but in reality it's a man-woman married to a man-woman because the lifestyle is that both are doing exactly the same thing Uh, both are are uh, uh, working both are uh, doing whatever i mean i i don't want to spend too much time on this but i think you you get the idea This is the exact opposite of a traditional marriage where a man is married to a wife whose primary commitment is to building the home. She creates a home without which the man is not living in a home. He may be living in a house or an apartment, but it's when he makes it possible for his wife to create the home. And she makes it possible for him to have that cocoon of security and tranquility and love and creativity that flows from being able to live in a home, not merely a house. And so in a marriage where it's man woman married to man woman sometimes it's a man married to a man because when they both are racing to get to work in the first thing in the morning and they're racing and and arguing about who's getting time in the bathroom first it's like two men living together and uh when uh, when nobody is spending any time worrying about the spiritual upbringing of the children uh, they're leaving that in the hands of childcare and babysitters because both are preoccupied with their career it's man married to man that's all it is uh, there sometimes it's woman married to woman that often happens as well but uh, in what i think of as a bible-based marriage concept where it's a husband married to his wife well now you are at a huge advantage when it comes to trying to figure out where you are on the safety risk spectrum line. And I'll tell you why. Because what happens is when it's a man married to a wife, a husband married to a wife, you talk to each other. You start off knowing that you disagree. Hello, You are two completely different creatures. You are a man and a woman. Why would you agree on everything? It would be extraordinary. But the good Lord puts us in a marriage as the greatest postgraduate course in human growth imaginable. There is no more valuable environment for your growth as a human being, your growth as a man or your growth as a woman, than being married to somebody of the opposite gender. And don't think I don't understand the seductive appeal of homosexuality. I really do. I totally get it. I mean, it's really like living with somebody. Who, with whom you pretty much agree on everything from sexuality to business. You understand each other. You never, ever scratch your head and walk away thinking, now what on earth does she really mean? No, because it's another man just like you. You get it. You get him. He gets you. I totally appreciate the appeal, right? Unfortunately, it's prohibited by the Torah, but I get it. But when you are married to somebody of the opposite gender, it's another story altogether. Because now, the other person brings a totally different perspective. You may well be thinking in terms of a high-risk adventure. She is going to be thinking in terms of the downside, the, the, the potential for loss. And now, the two of you talk and you discuss Where about in the middle of the spectrum line are you going to find a place you can both live? Where about somewhere on the spectrum line between the two extremes where she is able to live with the risk and he is able to live with the diminution of the dream sure and you find the right place because you are married that makes you like one entity so you got to agree you can't each go your own way because whatever he does will impact her and their children whatever she does will impact him and and that's a really important thing and that's why i often get disturbed when uh, couples that i assume are happily married uh, you'll find either the husband or the wife uses phrase like uh, and so uh, I I took a thousand dollars of my money and I went ahead and did this you know or she said I took my money listen you may have separate bank accounts but there isn't such a thing as only you or sometimes they well I just decided uh, I had to get my house painted hello and what about him is it his house? Did he also want to get a pet? Like, what's going on there? Uh, when, when my is used instead of our, uh, always worries me. Hopefully, you know, unjustifiably, but uh, it does worry me because it is a point you have to find that you are both okay with. You're both going to live with. And it's not a triumph of one over the other. It's not a tyrannic victory extracted from the other it isn't it's a place that you can both live in it's not exactly where you want to be it's not exactly where the other person wants to be but sometimes it's even better than a compromise because very often one or the other of you finds a, a solution that is an alternative solution. I mean, just to give you an example of, of what I mean, this is an over, obvious oversimplification, but uh, hey, he wants to start a new business and quit his job and jump in all, all, all hands, and she wants to say, no, we can't do that. Well, maybe one way is to have, find, or create a part-time job that will maintain, you know, maybe uh, the health insurance and, and some basic salary while the rest of the time uh, the adventure goes on. Uh, some other times, and this is one couple in particular, a beautiful, lovely couple I know who, who just had a baby boy a little while ago. And uh, in that case, we spoke about a, a period of time you know, they had a certain amount of savings, um, and so we were able to work out how long a period of time would it be good for her to be okay with him giving this venture a try, and that period of time with which he will be okay saying, okay, the period of time is up, we have not hit the milestones that we wanted, it's back to the negotiating table, it's back, maybe I have to go back to my job, whatever it is, but you find a way, and there almost always is a way, in a beautiful marriage, that's the key thing, and so there's this massive advantage, if you are not trudging through life alone, but you are dancing through life, arm in arm with your soulmate, you have the ability to far more easily than other people locate where about on that spectrum line you belong where it is on that spectrum line that you are able to find a place that has both of you really comfortable the excitement and the adventure the high potential that waits on the other side at the same time the journey need not be filled with terror that keeps one of you awake at nights. That's the, uh, the secret of understanding that whether it's the risk-safety spectrum line or whether it's frugality and spendthrift or, or whatever it is, all these characteristics uh, are such that you can write one down, figure out what the opposite is, put the spectrum line between them, and then start working out, particularly with your spouse, where about on that spectrum line you belong in the context of this specific adventure that you are confronting and contemplating right at this very moment. So, I hope that each of you happy warriors um, is on the uh, threshold of new tomorrows. Uh, Sometimes it's one that... uh, is the greatest adventure of all, the adventure of marriage, and heaven knows I can think of even more reasons than you why a man should not get married, and I can think of even more reasons than you of why a woman should not get married, but I don't go to either of those two extremes. I'm, I'm right there in the middle, and yes, of course there's high risk, but there's a way to do it, to make marriage the greatest adventure an adventure that can be undertaken in safety provided you build the handrails in And you know there's a spectacular hike in zion national park in utah in the united states of america and it's called angels landing it's about a four or five hour round trip hike and uh, it is downright scary well on the scariest section where you are walking on a fairly narrow ridge with steep drops down they look like several thousand feet way down scary sure and uh, the park service built in handrails with chains you can hold on to these chains as you walk up this section and uh, meanwhile there are other people coming down holding the chain as well and it, it can be uh, let's say you you make a lot of new friends but um, yes on a great adventure like getting married there are handrails that you build in before you get married and we've spoken about these on many many of these shows in the past and so you know what they are if any of you feel that uh, I've not covered them adequately, what are the handrails of marriage? Um, you tell me, and I'll, I'll definitely make sure we do a show on that as well. Absolutely. So, my dear friends, uh, I would love for you to visit the website, rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com. You can ask a question there. You can take a look at uh, at previous um Uh, questions that have been asked you can look at thought tools and uh, you do all this by trying to become a basic member of the happy warriors group we happy warriors and uh, that way we all give each other strength we all give each other encouragement uh, particularly at times where uncertainty looms on the horizon so it's rabbidaniellappin.com you'd also want to stop in at wehappywarriors.com and that's also a place where you can talk to other listeners of this podcast and discuss it with one another, uh, raise questions, answer questions, strengthen and encourage one another. That's what a community is. And we are the community of Happy Warriors. It's we Happy Warriors. That's who we are. So um, I love the opportunity of being here together with you all. And I want to wish you until. Next time, a week from now, when a new show is available, for this coming week, I want you to develop to the utmost the healthiest of relationships with your family, with your friends, with your finance, with your faith, and with your body, with your physical fitness. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless.